Hey there, Mama. Welcome back to another episode of the Working Mama podcast. Last week, we had Jess uh, from the Careers After Babies report. And this week, we're going to bring a report in from an Australian perspective. So I, earlier this year, spoke with Angela from Women's Agenda. And yes, it was a bit of a pinch me moment talking to her. I'm a big fan of Women's Agenda and everything they do um, to support women across business and they did actually for the last couple of years they've been doing a report and so I spoke with Angela about this women's ambitions report and just in summary they say in the opening for women the impacts of COVID have been especially great the pandemic saw thousands juggling and often overburdened by huge domestic workloads while simultaneously striving to achieve their career goals and ambitions so where did that leave everything this fourth of the ambition report examines the changing ambitions of women in Australia and uncovers some surprising results. So I really enjoy this chat with Angela as she goes more into the results, some of the findings, uh, and also some of her experiences as well as she navigates the juggle as a working mum. So really hope that you enjoy this episode. As always, if you can leave a rating and review, that would be amazing. And this episode is being brought to you by the Working Mama Village, your community resources and your cheer person supporting you on as a working mum. So the membership uh, is currently uh, got waitlist at the moment. So head over to the website to put your name down for when doors open. Have a great day and enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Working Mama podcast, a show that provides real world tips, tricks and advice to all working mamas on how they can have a career, family and hopefully one day break the glass ceiling. Welcome Angela, welcome to the Working Mama podcast. How's your day going so far? It's going pretty good. I just mentioned that it's very cold and I've ended up working from home, which is one of those things that you couldn't really do in the past, just sort of stay home on account of it not being that pleasant outside. And one of those things I should say not everyone can do, but that's where I'm at at the moment, trying to stay cozy and warm and awaiting whatever comes next. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very much mum life as well. So for those that don't know you, how would you best describe yourself and what's been your career journey to date? Okay, so I guess professionally, I describe myself as a journalist and news editor and business owner. So I'm the co-founder of Agenda Media with Tyler Lambert, and we run a small team of journalists and producers. We're best known for the daily news publication, Women's Agenda. We're an independent media business. We don't have outside investment. And so everything we do in terms of the journalism that we do and the, the daily newsletter that we put out kind of gets funded through various partnerships that we create and advertising and other things. Personally, I'm the mother of three young boys. And I guess the combination of those two things makes me somebody who doesn't really get enough sleep. And I feel like I'm sort of living on the edge of everything every single day and up against every kind of deadline and like nothing is ever actually done, but that's all part of the parenting life as well. So, and in terms of the career journey, I guess I've always wanted to be a journalist. So it was an ambition that I had in high school. I always loved news media and news magazines and family of, you know, we, we had always had the newspapers at breakfast and were always talking about what was going on in current affairs. It took me a while to kind of get into it. And 
yeah, somehow I sort of landed where I am. So Women's Agenda, we it was founded 10 years ago. So I was the founding editor, but we previously were part of a, a bigger publisher and I acquired the publication when I was on parental leave with my second child. And so I started publishing it kind of from my bedroom just by myself initially when when he was six weeks old. Oh, my goodness. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So that was... Wow. It was what a good sleeper. That, like? so that was, that yeah. was okay because he used to, I used to get a few hours out of him. I used to get up early. He he was quite consistent through the night. So, you know, it all comes down to your energy at the time and the type of baby and child you have, I think, for your capacity to, to work. And uh, I had a third child and that, like, he wasn't a great sleeper. So that was quite different. But by that point, we had a team and, and I could take a little bit more of a break or kind of dip in and out of it. But you know, when it was just me, it was very much we, I mean, my, my, and it wasn't, you know, at that point, it wasn't bringing any money. I kind of had this, this timeline of trying to figure out if I could make a business out of it, but knowing that I just wanted to at least uh, keep it publishing and keep the stories coming every day and keep ensuring that every day we're putting out the newsletter as our readers had been expecting from us and, and were continuing to expect from us. And we've done that ever since. That's amazing. Kudos to you for, you know, your, your ambition and what you do and sharing so many stories as well for really targeting women because, you know, it, women are some of that underrepresented voice in the media and, and we know that not, you know, particularly say women in sport, which I know you also do focus in on and, you know, workforce participation and the like that, yeah, those stories, if it wasn't for your publication, wouldn't necessarily be told. And, you know, it's amazing that, you know, six weeks postpartum when most people are just still trying to understand this baby but you're putting out this amazing newsletter so kudos to you and on behalf of everyone thank you for keeping it going oh thank you (laughs) yeah um and you know it's one of those things with like the I mean you mentioned about women's workforce participation and I sometimes look at it and I had somebody actually make a comment to me this morning it's you know stories that haven't necessarily you know done that well in terms of numbers or metrics or had you know a big impact or had a huge you know, heaps of likes and comments across social media, but sometimes stories are having this sort of smaller impact in some very niche part of an industry somewhere. And we don't actually realize it at the time, but, you know, it, it could be that that, you know, the, the lack of women represented or the lack of funding going to those women in that part of, in this niche area of industry, it hasn't had any recognition yet. And you realize later that actually putting out there has um, done something for that, hopefully um, help to uh, move things along and make people more aware of some of those gender gaps that are out there. So, yeah, it's 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 interesting. It's not always the 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 big stories that that feel the best or are the most transformative. The sometimes it's the ones that you know maybe have hardly even been read, but hopefully have been read by the right people and influential people who might be able to make a difference. Yeah, and I think another part that makes a difference is actually your women in uh, your women's and. Am- report and certainly reading that report and I'll put the link to the report in the show notes the statistics do not lie like there are some pretty I have to say shocking statistics in there and we'll get to those but from yourself and and going through this body of work because I know it's not the first time you've done this report what are some of those findings that you're seeing and some of those surprises and are you seeing any big shifts or in some areas or are they going backwards in other areas Yes. So we've been publishing this report like pretty much ever since we've been running Women's Agenda. So this is the fourth version and we do it every two years. So it does 
it takes a bit of work. So we, we I mean, ideally we should do it every year, but we, we do it somehow. We've landed at this part where we, we do it every two years. And we interview kind of, well, you know, with this report, it was around 1,100 responses. Um, previous res- reports, it's been more or less, but it's around that. And then what, I mean, the first thing I might say is that we don't necessarily see huge differences in the findings, which I think is interesting because if you mm. imagine the past eight years, obviously there's been a lot of change over the past eight years, particularly in how we work, but we don't see huge amounts of uh, changes in those findings. You know, confidence has always come up as a leading hurdle that women say they believe will get in the way of their career. Things like um, discrimination has come up a lot for women who have taken a career break over the past 10 years. And we ask for long answers when we ask about that kind of discrimination. And that always is quite a difficult read when you start kind of filtering through those responses and seeing what people are experiencing on account of them having taken a career break and and trying to return to work and finding that they're not getting the flexibility that they'd been promised or, you know, so many that get made redundant while Mm. on maternity leave or shortly after returning. So we know how often that happens and it doesn't seem to be slowing down, I might say, from that. In this report, one of the biggest surprises I'd say would be around burnout and burnout came in for the first time as the leading potential hurdle in the way of women's careers ambitions. It came up at just ahead of confidence. I found it interesting because, you know, burnout came up two years ago, but again, two years ago was, you know, in early parts of 2021, we'd just been kind of through the first lockdowns. Mm. We were ready. Actually, I think when we were doing the survey, we were sort of in the midst of those 2021 lockdowns. And it was interesting to see that, you know, burnout was certainly there, but it's actually come up bigger here. So it's not like we've come out of these pandemic periods and these, these you know, the end of what this period of, of these lockdowns and all of a sudden everything is okay. There's still burnout and there is still maybe there's a tail end of what we experienced and that's kind of coming to the fore now. There is still a burnout in terms of uh, what people are experiencing at work and their workloads and trying to manage work and care responsibilities. This stuff didn't just go away. And even with hybrid work and having more opportunities to work remotely and and possibly flexibly throughout the week, again, burnout hasn't gone away. If anything, um, it's possible that those things have contributed to more burnout, maybe because it's harder to define what's in the work box and what's not in the work box and everything is kind of blending into this 24-7 situation. Are women saying, like, this is my issue and and how they're resolving it? Because it's it's such a topic that's there and I think you had it that 77% of women in your report were experiencing burnout and that's that's a huge mm. number out of 1,100 women. Yeah, That's almost 800 women that are experiencing it. That's That's absolutely massive. Yeah. So, yeah. So three and four. So that's, I was so surprised by that. And that's, and that was basically, we asked if they believe they may have experienced burnout over the past 12 months. So not, not ever, Mm. but over the past 12 months. So I think that is really significant that women are reporting that and it is a real issue. And the other thing with that is that when we ask women about, you know, what might be leading to that burnout, I guess maybe this is a bit of a surprise as well. It wasn't necessarily parenting responsibilities. That is certainly a factor. 
And remember that, yeah, so that 77 figure, that 77% figure, that was across all women. So that wasn't broken up in terms of caring responsibilities, other factors. That's the full survey cohort. And I I think it's interesting that it wasn't just about the, you know, parenting responsibilities where I think we've come to expect it. It was things like, I think it was a third had said having a difficult manager or boss. Mm. And you look at something like that and you think, okay, that's that's a situation that, Uh, can be addressed, right? Like that can be addressed through employers. They should be addressing that. We're in a talent shortage. They should be really aware of that, that, you know, that kind of stat and think, well, could one third of my workforce actually be believing they may have experienced burnout because of a situation with their manager or boss or because we're placing on, you know, difficult expectations on them or there's too many workloads or we're asking too much of these people. So I think that like that it, it is something that, we, we, we need uh, a lot uh, more focus on, I think, from an employer perspective. I always try to avoid this idea that we need to fix ourselves because I don't think work is going to go away. I don't think ambition is going to go away. I mean, we were talking about this at the beginning of this conversation about when you're passionate about what you do, you'll put in the hours and you'll, you know, you'll make it happen. And it's not that we should have to sort of say, well, we, we're not going to do that anymore or we're only going to work or, you know, we're going to move to working part-time or working, uh, remove a day from week or so, because the ambition won't go away and the desire to do those big things that we want with our careers isn't going to disappear overnight as we feel suddenly better that we're not burnt out anymore. But we can kind of expect, you know, policymakers, employers, family members, those around us, supporters to do a little bit more to support the women in their lives, to consider how many how many loads they are taking mm. on. And, and what could help them. And if there are things like terrible bosses getting in the way or if there are things like too much, you know, domestic work at home because they're not getting any help or support, then how, you know, other family members might be able to support that too. I think it's so true. It, it's often when you hear the topic about the mental load, it's often branded as a female, usually a mum's topic, but when really the mental load is a shared responsibility, it's a shared topic. So it doesn't ha- necessarily have to be, all oh, right, you fix it, as you said. It's about those around you and and recognizing it and and particular, you know, particularly from a, a female perspective, calling it out and not being afraid to call it out either. Like I know my husband this week was talking to me about something and I said, sorry, mate, I just, I can't deal with this topic this week. Can we talk about it next week? And he's like, oh, okay. Like, and then he's then thinking, all right, you, yeah, you've got a bit going on. I'll, I'll park that. And, but it, it does take something to actually call it out, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a challenge, but you're right. It's, it's not our issue. It's also those around us where we're not necessarily going to fix it. And often, as we know, women will just keep taking, 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 yes, yes, yes. Particularly in a work situation, if you're working part-time, you may think, oh, my goodness, if I say no, what's the repercussions? But, yeah, it's obviously burnout is often a big part of that. Yeah, exactly. But I like what you mentioned about your um, example there because it sounded like that was a thing that you didn't want in your head and it wasn't Mm -hmm. like necessarily to go and do a physical task or something, but that whole idea of, I mean, even though it's just a thought or an idea or something that you need to think about, it still is a load that is going to land in your head. And you called that out that you didn't want that there this week, that, you know, you'd have more capacity to have that there next week. And I think it's again, important to think it's not all about very clear, um, tangible to-do items on a list somewhere. It's actually about everything that accumulates. Yeah. And is that certainly something like from a, 
from a is what some of the barriers of, of women and also around their career ambitions because I noticed it as well that you were talking about self-confidence and I know in the report it's reduced from 50 to 41 percent but that's still a really high factor around confidence and is that something that's across the board of women I know that returning back into work both times after my mat leaves I did experience a drop in a big dip in confidence and even more recently, I've got, oh, it's actually my mindset and how I'm seeing myself is different to how others are seeing me. It's such a big part of, of who I am and my confidence. But is that something that women are also through this report experiencing? And is that then having a positive or a negative impact on their careers? So the confidence, so it does always come up. And so there has been a drop. And I think that that is maybe somewhat of a positive and I think it's interesting to see the drop through the pandemic because I think that was a period where we could actually see different styles of leadership and it was almost like it didn't have to be this one size fits all form of what an ideal leader looked like and actually you know when you get a bunch of leaders together and none of them have dealt with the you know some of the things that would come up during a pandemic and they're all of a sudden dealing with them at the same time that was when we started to think about how oh there's actually all these other traits of a lot of women just have really naturally that can be really beneficial during those moments. And I wonder if stuff like that actually supported women to see the confidence, to, to feel a little bit more confident about what mm. they have. And I wonder also if you, if more of us are kind of seeing bad leadership and seeing stories about terrible <laughs> leadership and thinking, well, it's not like this myth of something they have that, you know, the rest of us don't necessarily have. So maybe that kind of thing might support a rise in confidence levels but so that figure that we had for that report is so that is across the total cohort in terms of the confidence question I think when it comes to because we then do ask we try to break it up by uh, women who've taken those career breaks for caring responsibilities and so with that I think it's interesting to look at the ambitions there because it's not like ambition goes away like it's not like you're suddenly have this desire to, you know, um, not be thinking about the the paid work ambitions that you had in the past. They might change, but um, we, we we certainly find that, and we found this every time that we've done this research, that uh, a large majority of women report that they are feeling more ambitious now than they were uh, prior to, to taking that career break. So, but, you know, things are getting in the way. We don't specifically ask about the confidence aspect there, but we do ask about things like discrimination. And sadly, there is a lot of discrimination that does come up and a lot of women believing that they are experiencing discrimination at that point. And we also ask about the the biggest challenges that they face, um, that they've faced on return to work, that they had faced or they anticipate facing. And I know that obviously the accessibility and affordability of childcare is a significant issue and one we are always keeping high on the agenda and for many reasons, more than just the benefits to women's workforce participation, but also in the interests of, you know, how valuable childhood education is for for children and ultimately Mm -hmm. for the country. But that isn't really necessarily the biggest hurdle that is getting in the way and it might be the obvious one that you might point to, but it's actually the things that they say that are getting in the way. I find this interesting around, so keeping up with school pickups and drop-offs. So I think that maybe this is speaking to the fact that in, in some ways for, for some people, and I know this isn't across the board because it's not as accessible as it should be, um, those early childhood years might be a little easier to manage in terms of drop-offs and pickups because we know that the days are actually tailored to an actual work day, but, you know, for whatever reason, school days are not. 
But then it is with those school days that um, we're seeing that women are reporting more hurdles in terms of their, you know, career ambitions because they're trying to keep up with a shorter school day at that point and the related activities around school. Also, finding time to manage well-being comes up as quite a significant hurdle as well with around one in, around, it's it's 25% of women who've taken that career break are saying that that is, you know, one of the biggest hurdles in terms of being able to return or that they had experienced on returning to work. And that well-being probably part of, as they famously say, you can't um, pour from an empty cup, but probably the well-being, is there any relatability to then the burnout in your report as well? That if, you, if you're not having the time to manage Yeah, well-being from a well-being and, and yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think we can draw part of that conclusion. I guess where the, the overwhelm with burnout, there was a high, I think the highest proportion it was, that's the figure, the highest proportion was reporting that the burnout was stemmed from overwhelm at trying mm-hmm. to balance those competing priorities, which would point to the need that, you know, that, yeah, y- your well-being is obviously going to take a hit at that point. I wanted to just say one other thing about women taking career breaks and ambition, and that is that we found that in terms of one of their key career goals over the next two years, that those women were saying 66% of them said increasing their salary and earning potential is a key career goal. And I like that, again, because it just sort of dispels any kind of myth that about you know any kind of lack of ambition or any kind of lack of desire to get promoted or to get a new well-paying role at that point that actually women and in many ways it might be out of necessity but it's also out of you know feeling possibly reinvigorated and, and ready to to push forward in a career looking to increase their their salary. That is so positive and I think it's interesting I actually put up a, a story on Instagram this week and, and someone actually said to me do you do you experience mum guilt because she said I enjoy working and I think your stats are actually reinforced like reaffirming for people because it's like oh yes I they're actually I think they should give permission that it's okay to have a career and, and want to ask for more money and to then fulfill that because there's often some of the patriarchal systems and what society sometimes feeds women and particularly working mums is look you're going to have to choose between either motherhood or career but as you say in your statistics and it work goes away as well of normalizing that of no it's okay ambition is normal you're not alone if you feel that mm. Are there others actually feeling it as well, which I think is a really good story to um, amplify. And, and if you're listening to this, that you're like, look, I don't have that much mum guilt because I still want to create and I enjoy working, go for it. It's normal. It is. Yeah, it is absolutely normal. And, you know, there is also the sense of the normalcy in terms of the necessity of it. Yeah. Like we're just at a point where, you know, if you if you you are lucky enough to have dual income earners in a household, then it, it's just not a reality for one of them not really to be you know trying to push ahead with increasing their earning capacity as much as the other person is as well like we, we just you know at a point with the cost of living and you know rising rents and rising interest rates that it's just it's really really difficult to to not have those incomes and of course you know as we know really really difficult for single parents particularly and that they're facing the added impact of you know it's equally more difficult at home on the home front having to take on you know the sole responsibilities there but also obviously wanting to get ahead in that paid workforce and having those ambitions still like it doesn't just go away. No, and just because yeah, you're a mum and, and the cost of living, it doesn't mean it, but certainly there's so much more that women do want to work for, you know, even long-term considering super and retirement because, you know, women over the age of 55 are, is the 
fastest growing group of, of homelessness. So it's so important that, yeah, the reasons why you're working, and I think that's where that statistic out of your report is so valuable of actually saying, yes, it's it's okay to have ambition and and really give that permission and not shy away from it because I know I've even been approached of, oh, you okay with working four days? Is that all right? And how do you feel? And being made to feel guilty a little bit about, no, I still want a career and I still want a good position and and that. And it's, I'm like, no, it's also what I want to role model. I've got two boys just like yourself, uh, you know, and boy mom. And I'm like, I want to show them that it's not just their father that's providing, but also their mom, both mum and dad work to provide to you. Yeah. And I think there's also this growing awareness as well that's come over the past 10 years or so. And because you've mentioned the superannuation gap. And I think we've uh, probably, you know, we've had kids at the same time. And I think like that's in the back of my mind. I'm sure that's in the back of your mind as well, that we're starting to understand that there is this superannuation gap there, that like taking the career breaks and the periods of working flexibly and part-time and it will impact and it will accumulate for your retirement savings later on. In the past, I don't know that there was as much awareness of it. Now there is. And I've seen that recently. We did a report recently on the fact that the gender superannuation gap is actually closing very, very slowly. And according to, that was research from Roy Morgan and some of the the, the commentary around that was that, that that it is, you know, likely that this growing awareness of that gap is, is actually contributing to, yeah, was- to helping to close it. So, you know, women yeah. being very much aware of the fact that they're taking in, in less and make, looking to make up the shortfalls or, or be wary of it. Yeah, I ran a masterclass inside my membership this week and the financial planner that presented, she gave this chart about superannuation. And interestingly, even when people enter the you know workforce around 18, if they're you know, coming of age, women were earning 9000 into super. Men were earning, had $14,000 as a super. So even just at even before they've started full-time work generally, the superannuation gap was there right from the start. So it was you really, I was like, oh my goodness. Like it's not even once they get into paid work. And I know that once they get in and generally there are more women, particularly from university graduating, but, Mm. and that's a sliding scale. I was like, oh my God, even from just pretty much the outset of work, that gap's already there. Yep. Yeah. It's already starting just like the gender pay gap. So it certainly is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now, are you noticing any differences in terms of ambitions between women that have children or without children or is it pretty much the same that no matter, you know, females certainly have that ambition regardless? I mean, uh, we don't notice so much difference. It is we don't necessarily ask the questions in a way that would bring that up. But at the same time, earning, looking to earn more comes up as the number one ambition for everyone. It does come up as a higher ambition for those uh, who have had a career break, but that could be around the way that the question has been asked. So I don't want to say that's yeah. a definite thing, but yeah, across the whole cohort, everyone wants to earn more. So yeah. <laughs> we all want more money and fair enough. Okay. So that that's it. We also want to get promoted. We're also, you know, there's a quarter or so are thinking about changing jobs over the next couple of years. There's, you know, there's, you know, we want to start businesses. There's, there's all these things that we want to do that are not necessarily, you know, we want to achieve work-life balance, which I think is what people can automatically assume and can certainly mm-hmm. try and assume across women who have young kids, particularly when that's, that's not necessarily the case in terms of their ambitions. It's certainly a desire, but uh, it doesn't come up anywhere close to wanting to increase their salary and earning potential. 
Such a good way of doing it. It's really, I have to say, this report is debunking some of those myths that you often see and hear in the media, like, oh, women just want to work part-time and just, you know, go for the, have an easy way or something like that. But you're actually debunking that of saying, no, women do actually want to earn more. They want to have a career and really demystifying some of those stereotypes, which I think is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, that, you know, on that, yeah, after having kids that 43% say they're more ambitious than ever before. Like, I just love that stat. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's, you know, you, you might think that, you know, on you know, leaving school or something, you're, you're height of your ambition. But actually, according to at least part of this research, it's uh, after having a child. Yeah, which is yeah. I definitely debunks a lot sometimes of the, the common misconceptions. Yeah. Now, you've talked a bit around leadership and what people are wanting. What are you seeing some of the trends um, from the report around the future of work? I know they've, you've got an element there around leadership and I know there's I reckon for even the last 10 years, people are saying about how the job force, so the workforce is actually changing so much. So is there anything that from here we can say, look, women should prepare or, you know, skill up probably and actually leadership is what you're saying? Yeah. Um. So, I mean, the first thing is around, so we ask a lot about hybrid work and working from home. And it was the first time we'd asked about that, but we were trying to get an idea of if those who were working hybrid or from home and we had, you know, we asked them about various different structures if they felt it might be hindering their career at all. So we can't compare this to results from from, from men, unfortunately, and, and but you know, there's other research that looks at that. But what some of the research, the wider research has been saying is that men have been kind of returning to offices in greater numbers than women and it's a massive generalisation, but there's, and we point to a few kind of different studies in this space over the past two years or so. And, you know, we also look at the fact that in many ways, remote work and hybrid work is making some things easier for people, particularly, you know, if you do need to be at home, if you do need to be close to some kind of a daycare or school or something, if you do need to, if you do have caring responsibilities, it can certainly make it easier in terms of supporting your time throughout the day. But then there is a lack of visibility. So we found that 27% of those in hybrid work or working from home believe that the lack of visibility to their team is hindering their career. And 37% say a lack of visibility to the upper management is hindering their career. So I think that's interesting to think about here is what happens uh, if this continues or if there does continue to be uh, a gender divide between uh, who is uh, spending more time in the office and who is not. We should keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, again, things that I think employees can do to make sure that people who are working hybrid or working remotely are really supported and included. And you hear the old, there's things about like meetings. That if there's one person who can't be in the meeting in person, then everybody should dial into the meeting, stuff like that to make sure that everybody is included and you don't have one person on the screen while the other six people actually are sitting around a table. So there's stuff like that to make sure that there is more inclusion or to make sure that people are together on given days. There's more that leaders can do to demonstrate that they are working remotely as well and that that's okay. I think that's really important too. We asked women about what they believe will be the most important skills for leaders in the future. And I mean, I wasn't surprised by these results, but I guess, I mean, it's not tech skills. It's not, you know, necessarily understanding artificial intelligence or anything like that, but rather the three that came up were communication, empathy, resilience, and adaptability. 
No surprise there. Yeah, so I wasn't surprised by those. I think that they are skills that maybe 10 years ago, they wouldn't have been the skills that would have come up as the, the, the leaders in terms of what leaders would need in the future. But certainly now you can see why they are so important, particularly I'd say empathy there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, empathy and communication are certainly linked, but those those skills, I mean, absolutely critical and will really determine the best leaders of the future and ultimately the best workplaces and the most productive workplaces of the future. Yeah. And certainly when you think about now, leaders that have certainly influenced your career, I'm sure they will be having, they'll be good communicators and they will certainly be leading with empathy and it's so important. Now, I know in your report, you also looked at minority groups as well, such as First Nations people and and their ambitions and, and reported a little bit around this. So what was, what did you find in, in that regard and what yeah, findings um, in relation to First Nations and other minority groups? So we we actually don't. Oh, go, yeah. I um, did. Sorry. Okay, I'll, I'll edit no, that we out. We do ask about like race discrimination. Oh, um, yeah. We ask about disability, but we don't ask people to kind of classify themselves anywhere. So it's not really oh. something I could comment. No, no, no. I'll edit yeah. that out. No, sorry. Okay, about all right. that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's certainly something that we'd like to do in the future. <laughs> And that we should really be doing. So, no, yeah, it's. Yeah. I thought I, was, I must have been reading it wrong. So I'm so sorry. I'm just trying to think where, if there's anything that could point to where we've done that. No, I not, think, no, yeah. no, sorry. I'll let that out. Yeah. It could, it would be in quotes, but where people have noted that. And we may have pulled out some of those quotes. Yeah, maybe it's um, that with, maybe I saw yeah. the quote. Yeah. And yeah. we would have also looked to desktop research to add mm-hmm. in where, where we could to contribute to, to the, the wider research on that. Yep. Yeah, but if you would, yeah, if you don't mind editing, yeah, I'll edit that out. That's the beauty of podcasts; you can just edit what you don't need. All right, okay. So I'll just do my last question. So, from all of this amazing report and statistics, what would you like Angela to see change and and improve relating to burnout, self care, uh, well being, or um, and or um, confidence? Because there's so many, like what you've got in this report. You know, if you have to say for the next report or even in, you know, five years' time, what would you like to crystal ball and, and see change? I think I'll go with the burnout comment just because it, it did seem so significant for three quarters of women to be reporting that they feel that they may have experienced burnout over the past 12 months. I mean, that points to so many problems, Australia-wide, you know, macro problems that we really need to be thinking about in terms of physical and mental health and in terms of women's work place productivity so in terms of women's workplace participation I should say not productivity participation so certainly it should be we should be concerned about that and I you you see those sorts of figures across certain sectors in other research as well like you see that in early childhood education and you see that in nursing where workers report these really high levels of burnout and we need to be I think really concerned about that especially because you know those workers are reporting an intention to leave over the next few years and we just don't, they're, they're not getting paid enough. They're not getting supported and valued enough, even after, you know, the period of the past few years where we said, you know, these are the front line and we were celebrating these workers. We've got a real problem where they are not getting valued enough and that's ultimately going to um, hinder the entire economy and hinder every other, everything that's being done around um, workforce participation for for parents and non-parents. So that's, you know, certainly one thing. I I, I was... So we saw that high level of burnout across the full cohort of women that we surveyed. I'd like to see that change. I'd really like to see how we can ensure that 
the structure of work is provided in a way and that's from employers it's from clients it's from it's from from all of us is structured in a way that you know enables us to thrive as individuals as opposed to enabling you know some form of productivity or for <laughs> that 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 rather we kind of put the people first and that we actually when we say that we we mean it that we actually do care about how they are going that we do care about you know, how they are coping, not just today, but how they were coping last week and how they expect to be coping in the future as well. And I think we can all have a role to play to support each other on that, to make sure that we are living in, you know, in a society. I've heard that thing that like we want to live in a society, not an economy, right? Like that we are living in a society where we support people, where we all get to do wonderful things and build great businesses and things like that, because that's all important. But then at the end of the day, nothing is more important than our own our own health and our own happiness and, and well-being and ability to thrive and our own ability also to, you know, be with our families and friends and do the things that we want to do around the outside of work. Yeah, so well said. Now, is there anything finally that you'd like to just add and give an update on just in relation to this report that we may not have already covered? Not so much an update from the report. I mean, I guess we've had a, a lot of interest and more interest than I expected and more interest than we've received in previous reports. And I think it is because of that burnout figure. So it definitely resonates with people. And we have, I mean, we've got on our YouTube channel, we, we did a webinar last week. So, and that's really good. So you can check that out and have a look at that webinar there. Um, and we'll do another roundtable in a couple of weeks time where we're going to actually try to speak to more of these employees to try and share this information and to learn a little bit more about what they are doing to to address some of these issues. That's so important and great to hear that you're actually chatting with the employer side and, and as what we said at the start, not just leaving this as a, a women's issue and topic on, on some of these, but also, you know, as they say, it takes a village, but certainly takes a village to help women fulfill their ambitions. So yeah, thank you so much. Now, what do you do, Angela, to fill your cup? Uh, to fill my cup, I'm probably the worst possible example of somebody who fills their cup. <laughs> I probably haven't spent <laughs> enough time doing it. But it comes back to the thing that I, you know, I get passionate about areas and so I'll go and follow them and pursue them and and I don't necessarily think that's work so much, but, you know, it probably is because I do certainly feel the the idea of burnout myself from time to time. I do, in terms of, I guess, self-care, I, I run every day. I'm really passionate about, you know, health and, and trying to stay fit and just doing all the things that can support you later on in life in terms of your longevity and in terms of really being uh, healthy when later on in life. So not just living longer, but actually hopefully being healthy during that period and, and how that correlates with everything else that will be going on later on. So I do, yes, yeah, so that's kind of it for me. And it's funny because to make that happen, I have to kind of get up an hour earlier than I would otherwise be sleeping, which probably wouldn't be the worst thing to do either. But I do enjoy running and it's not, and it's definitely not to, I, I separated it from my, you know, from, from any kind of idea about weight loss or anything. It's about my, my mental health and my physical health. And I try and do some strength training as well to try and maintain that with the idea that I'd like to still be running when I'm kind of in my eighties and nineties. We'll see. But <laughs> I think, you know, you, you find what, what works for you. Hopefully one day I won't have to get up as early as I do to be able to fit that in. But I do know that I have a better day if I can get that <laughs> happening in the morning. And yeah, I'm sort of my partner says that I'm like a puppy. I need to have that. <laughs> <laughs> need to 
have my morning run or I'll um, sit there like yeah totally relatable all day. yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally relatable I'm a fellow runner and even like I don't go every day but if I can go once a week it's that is feeling and even this week I was like I need to go today because my mind is just going cray cray so <laughs> but I had a much better day because of actually going for my run so totally get it there now how yeah. can people connect with you and also women's agenda yeah, so we are womensagenda.com.au and you'll get a pop-up where you can subscribe to our daily newsletter. I'm on Angela at womensagenda.com.au and Angela Priestley, L-E-Y, across our across various socials. So on Twitter, LinkedIn, LinkedIn is probably the best for me at the moment. I used to be a yeah, I used to love Twitter, but things have obviously changed there. So <laughs> go and going yeah I love connecting people on with people on LinkedIn I think it's possibly the 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 you know the when we talk about burnout and well-being and LinkedIn can still have its issues but it's not quite in terms of how Twitter can make you feel sometimes yeah (laughs) definitely definitely manage your well-being by choosing your social media carefully so yeah yeah (laughs) great advice to finish on well thank you so much Angela for your time going through this report, but actually also thank you for commissioning this type of report because I think it really debunks a lot of myths that particularly around working mums and even working, sorry, women's ambitions. I think it's so important to to share these stories to really change the message and the narrative. And again, thank you so much for everything you and your team do at Women's Agenda to uh, yeah advocate for all topics relating to women. So thank you very much and uh, yeah, have a great day. Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Working Mama podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast catch-up. Please also feel free to contact me on any of the Working Mama social channels. Remember, Mama is M-U-M-M-A or website www.workingmama.com.au. I would appreciate you to share this podcast with friends and colleagues, especially those that are parents managing the juggle. And I would really appreciate if you had to take the time out to leave a review of the podcast. Thank you and see you next time. Have a great week.